Welcome to the Redeemer Podcast. For more information about Redeemer Church, visit makingmuchofjesus.org. We hope you enjoyed the talk and invite you to visit us next Sunday at either our 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. service. Well, good morning and Happy New Year. Please take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 19. Psalm 19, and we'll read in verse 7 here in a moment. And we start a new series today at the beginning of the new year called The Five Solas, where we'll be looking at the five uh, declarations, motivations, resolutions, rally cries from the Reformation that happened nearly 500 years ago. Uh, Martin Luther and a band of other brothers used by God, a major human catalyst used by God in the Reformation to reform, to dramatically change uh, the church and even how we're able to meet and to gather here today. And these five solas, these are Latin phrases. Uh, the church at the time, the Roman church, the, everything was communicated in Latin and the Bibles and the preaching was all in Latin. And so these were declarations first to the, to the Roman church, saying these are the things that have been corrupted and these are the things that must change and these are ways that we must turn from where we are and they trickle down to the people. And these five things we're going to look at over the month of January and the first Five, the first one we're going to look at is sola scriptura, which means scripture alone. That scripture alone is the final authority over, over Christians. Not a man, not a church, not a priest, not a pope, and not a tradition, not church councils. That the word of God is the final authority on earth over God's people. Back then, it was a priest, it was a pope, they ruled the people. But Luther and his friends said, no, the Bible does. Next one was sola gratia, that we're saved by grace alone. Nothing we do, no amount of good works, no amount of merit can save us. We didn't earn salvation. We don't deserve salvation. Why are we saved? Because God's grace alone saves us. Third was sola fide, which means faith alone. We are saved by grace through faith. So how do, we, how do we get this grace? How do we get salvation? It doesn't come to us by our own morality. It doesn't come to us by our works. It doesn't come to us because a priest blesses us with it. It doesn't come to us because a pope says you can have it. And it doesn't come to us because you put some money in an offering plate, which is what drove Luther and the other reformers bananas. They had these things called indulgences where you could basically pay to ensure the salvation of family members. They would walk around the town and say, every time a coin in the offering box rings, a soul from purgatory springs. And this still happens today. I have a friend, he's a church planner up in northern Italy, and showed me a picture of a Catholic church in northern Italy with an indulgence box on the side of the building. It just says indulgences in, in Italian. It still happens today. And Luther and us, we would all respond and go, no, we're saved by grace through faith alone in what? In solus Christus, in Christ alone. Jesus alone and Jesus only is how we are saved from our sins and the wrath of God to come. There is no other way to be saved. No church can save us. No priest can save us. No pope can save us. No good deed. No baptism no even taking the Lord's Supper, not being raised in a Christian tradition. The only thing that can save is Jesus alone. 
He alone is our Savior. He alone is our mediator. He alone is our advocate. He alone is our sacrifice. We are saved by Christ alone to the glory of God alone. Sola Deo Gloria. All of this happens. All of life, all of the church, all of Christianity is for who? Not for us, Psalm 115. Not to us, O Lord, but to your name. Be all glory and honor and praise. Every area of life is for his honor. The Catholic Church at that time had kind of a secular and a sacred. These were the things that mattered to God. Everything else was kind of secular, eh, whatever. No, he said, no, all of life, everything is for the glory of God. And no one deserves the glory, no pope, no priest, no man, but God alone. And here's why these matter today. The five solas are not just neat tidbits from church history. They are needed today. We need to remember them and live them. So guys, you got to remember that before the Reformation happened, before Luther nailed his theses on the Wittenberg door, there were no denominations. It was just the church, just the Catholic church. And the Catholic church had gotten off of the rails of faithfully understanding scripture, faithfully preaching, faithfully understanding how the church functions, and they had betrayed the gospel. In many churches back then, there was no singing. If anyone did sing, it would just be the priests. The Lord's Supper was taken every week, but it was not taken by the people. It was only taken by the priest. And they would watch the priest take the Lord's Supper and just observe. They did not participate in worship. They were spectators of the priests worshiping. The sermon, it was done in Latin. So Luther was in Germany, spoke German. The sermon wasn't even done in a language that people could understand. They just sat there and listened to a sermon they couldn't understand. Can you imagine doing that? Some of you are like, yeah, I do that every week. I, I. <laughs> but it was in a different language. So imagine if I'm, up here, I'm preaching in German the whole time. Like, I'm not going there. They had no other option. They would go and listen to a sermon in Latin that they couldn't even understand. No one had Bibles. In some of those churches, the Bibles were chained to the pulpit, and they were in Latin. And only the priest knew Latin. The congregation didn't participate in one another ministry. They didn't serve each other. They didn't have small groups. They, they didn't. And it was so different. So if you like singing, congregational singing, thank God for the reformers. If you like having a Bible you can read, thank Luther and William Tyndale for their hard work and risking their life to translate the Bible for us. If you like preaching, communion, being able to minister to one another, Thank God for the Reformation. But yet, Christians today, we live in ways as though we practically betray the Reformation. We need to remember the solace. For we are in danger of living as though something other than Scripture is my final authority. We're in danger in living as though we're saved by our own morality or our own good works or I have my own kind of righteousness. We're in danger of thinking, well, of course God would save me. Why wouldn't he? We're in danger of thinking that the power of our church, why our church would grow, why people would attend would be our techniques or, our, or some tactics instead of God's grace at work among us. These are more than historical landmarks. They're reminders of the Christian life. This is why we're called evangelicals. The word evangel means gospel. We're gospel people, and these are the kind of turning of that jewel of the gospel, seeing it's by Scripture alone. 
It's by grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. They are tracks towards joy and gospel wakefulness. That these solas are caution tape against legalism. And we're gonna, and they're really wings towards joy and anchors for our sanity. We're gonna look at a sola each week, kind of trying to calibrate our hearts and our church again around the essence of the gospel, seeing how we can live each of these solas in our own lives and as a church body. Because these are things we have to commit to in our own lives and commit to together. And so today, we'll look at Scripture alone. And we'll read Psalm 19, beginning in verse 7. And since these words come to us today in the very authority of King Jesus, let's stand together in the honor of reading of the Word of Christ. And the Spirit says, beginning in verse 7, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Let's pray. Holy Father, would you help us now by your spirit to honor you and to honor your word and to cling to your testimonies and to believe in the 10,000 benefits of your word. Help us now, Lord. We need you. Help us, Lord. And it's in your mighty name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Just the other night, our family went with some friends to a restaurant called the Shack Burger Resort. And that's the official name, Burger Resort in the name. And their playground is one of those old school playgrounds, a hollowed out school bus, some half-dug tires, piles of concrete, and a rickety rope swing. And we're out there at night, and it's really dark, but it's, it's pretty well lit up. And Ivy's, you know, going down the slide, having fun. And Oliver, my little two-year-old, he wants to not run in the bus, but he wants to go run behind the bus. And it's like pitch black back there. We can't see anything. So I'm holding his hand. We're going back there. And as we're walking, it's so dark, I can't see anything. And I'm thinking, this place is cool, but it's kind of sketchy. Like, there's probably a raccoon out here or, or something. And so I take my phone out, because your phone can do a thousand things. It's got a flashlight on it. Just one swipe, one push, and there's a flashlight. So I take it out, turn on my flashlight just so we can kind of see where we're going. And instantly, I put it in front of us, where we're walking. He's walking in front of me. There is a mountain of concrete, all broken up, jagged, looks all dangerous, and it's all stacked up to a point. Like someone made a little shrine or something back there, probably some goofy kids. 
and made this little mountain of concrete, and then there's Oliver walking, and he's about to step onto that mountain of concrete. He can't see it because he's just busy running ahead like a little kid. And I, all I can think of, oh, no, he's about to trip, fall, face first, chubby cheeks on that, blood everywhere. He's going to be hurt. We're going to go to the hospital. It's going to be really expensive. It's going to ruin our night. No. And, and so instantly, all these things are going through. I have my phone in my dominant hand. I reach down, and I jump forward so he doesn't fall into it, and I grab him right before. I mean, he's on his way, and I, I grab him. I, like ninja dad moments, and then I'm about to fall into the concrete, so I jump over it, and he's screaming his head off, why would you save my life, and all, all these things. And I take him back to the table, and I sit him down. He's freaking out. And Nellie's like, what happened? I'm like, I just saved his life again. <laughs> and while all that was happening, I'm, I'm reflecting on it, and you know, in that moment, that iPhone tiny flashlight was a great tool. And it made me think of Psalm 119 where it says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. The Bible, just like that little, I mean, the psalmist realizes, if I don't know where I'm going and danger's lurking, I have this light, that's like the Bible. See, the, the lamp, the, the lamp is a metaphor for the Bible. It's not the other way around. It's like, oh, that kind of worked out. That was kind of neat. No, it was in, engineered that way by God himself. That these things would show us, this is how the Bible operates in our lives. Guiding us, protecting us, rescuing us from foolishness, relieving us in distress. I mean, think about all the reasons why you turn the light on. A little bump in the night, when you turn the light on, what was that? Turn lights on. I heard something spooky outside the other night after a bunch of cars had been broken into in our neighborhood. I, went, I didn't go get my daughter's little Halloween flashlight. I went and got a mag light, big one. So I just got to bump somebody on the head with a flashlight, you know? Safety, security. I want to know what's going on. The Bible does all of this in our lives. You're scared, you turn the light on. Kids need a nightlight. Why? Because light relieves us from our distress. The Word of God relieves us, helps us navigate, helps us pray, helps us learn how to glorify God. The Bible is a wonderful help to us. It is a light, but we should not only view the Bible as some kind of flashlight. It, it is that, but it's more. And some of us, we only crack open our Bibles in case of emergency. Things are going bad. Oh, I should go to the Bible. Oh, I don't, I'm anxious. I should go to the Bible. The Bible does meet us there, but it does so much more. When we only treat the Bible to break glass in case of emergency, we, when we do that, we don't believe in sola scriptura. We believe in sometimes scriptura. The Bible is not relevant for every time, but just sometimes. But guys, to really live sola scriptura, it's to believe and to grasp and to live as though the Bible really is sufficient for all of life, that it is relevant, that it is powerful, and that it will never disappoint me when I am in need. It will never disappoint me when I'm not in need and things are going great and I'm just reading it to enjoy. Guys, there should be a magnetic pull that we have towards the Scriptures. I mean, as I said earlier, before the Reformation, Bibles were chained to the pulpit, and now that they've been unchained, and we have them in our languages, and we have them that we can carry, we have them on our phones, we have instant access to the Bible, even though those things are true, most of us still live as though the Bible is still chained to a pulpit. Instead, we can have it with us wherever we go, thinking and bleeding Bible. Spurgeon would say of John Bunyan, who wrote Pilgrim's Progress and tons of great other books, that if you, if you cut Bunyan, he would bleed Bibline. Bible would just flow out of him. And that's how we are to be. 
one of the ways we can be sola scriptura people today is to be word-saturated, Bible-logged people. And my hope for our church and for me and for you is that we would be the kind of people that we cling to God's word, we run to God's word, believing that I need it in my life, that it's sufficient, that it's relevant, and I'll never be shortchanged by going to God's word, that I need it for every moment of my life, that it teaches me how to live, how to function as a disciple of Christ, for we're his disciples. It's one of the main identities of a Christian. We're a disciple. Whether you've been a Christian for a couple days or you've been for a couple decades, no matter how long you have been and how long we will be for millions of years now, we are disciples of Christ. And he says, if you are my friends, if you hear my word and do what it says. So I want us to consider how to live a sola scriptura life. And then we'll look at Psalm 19 and look at the benefits of the Bible. We've got to remember from the, in the Reformation, the people were weighed down and held captive to the words of a pope, the words of a priest, and to the traditions of men. When Luther was put on trial by the church, they told him, turn from everything you've said, turn from sola scriptura, turn from sola gratia, turn from solus Christus, and turn from them all or else you're in big trouble. And he just said, I can't. My conscience is captive to the Word of God. Is your conscience captive to the Word of God? Something happens in your life. Where do you go? Where do you run? You're challenged in your life, a belief. Where do you run? You're tempted. Is your conscience captive to the Word of God? Or is it captive to your own thoughts? Is it captive to what you heard growing up? Is it captive to the fear of man? Is your conscience captive to the Word of God? Guys, knowing the Bible, knowing God's Word, sets you free from the tyrannical scepter of human opinion. As Jesus said, the truth shall set you free. Knowing God's Word is not slavery. It is freedom. Understanding how to live for Christ. And, and even think about our church practically. This is so anti what was happening before the Reformation. Priests were viewed as the ultimate authority in the church. Pope was viewed as the ultimate authority over all the believers then. No more. And even among us at our church, I'm, I'm a man. I'm a pastor. Great. But I'm not your ultimate authority. No Christian is any other Christian's ultimate authority. When those happen, those are called cults. And they're not of Christ. I am one authority in a Christian's life, just the Christians here. But I'm not the main authority. I'm not the final authority. And you are authorities in my life. We share authority over each other's lives as brothers and sisters in Christ, rebuking one another, encouraging one another, serving one another, admonishing one another. And I lose my authority when I step outside of the Bible, when I begin to put my words and my thoughts and my opinions online with God's Word and on the same page, I'm acting like Satan. And when you do that, when you take your preferences, your opinions, what you like, and you put a yoke on other Christians, you're acting like Satan. We're outside of our jurisdiction. It's vital for us to know the Bible so we are in agreement with God's Word under His authority and serving one another in the way of Christ. We need a personal and communal sola scriptura, meaning we need to be thinking in terms of our own personal lives, my growth in Christ. Scripture's my authority. In my home, Scripture's the final authority, not the culture. In my marriage, 
Scripture is the final authority. I mean, my job, all my spheres, and then communal, our church, our community groups, our friendships, our relationships, our, our accountability time, whatever. Scripture is the final authority. So we should always be thinking of two questions. You're tempted. Suffering happens. You're challenged. A situation you don't know how to navigate. We run to two places. What does the Bible say about this? That should be one of the first things we think of. What does the Bible say? What does God say? Because this is God speaking to us. The writer of Hebrews, when he's quoting Jeremiah, he doesn't say, Jeremiah says, he says, and the Holy Spirit testifies to us. This is, this is why when, when I read the scriptures before my sermon, I always say, and the Spirit says. Because it's the Holy Spirit of God speaking to us. So we have to ask, one, what does the Bible say about this? And then secondly, now what does the Bible require of me? In line of what it says, what must I do? What must I walk in? What must I repent of? What should I feel? It's one thing to know what the Bible says, and it's something totally new and, and Christian to go, now what do I do with this? What does God want me to do? We must live a functional sola scriptura, where the Bible is our go-to source. And it's popular to say it, and I, and I think it's tragic when Christians say this. Things like, you know, what's God saying to you these days? Or, I'm just waiting to hear from God. I, I need a word from the Lord about this. You've got a lot of words from the Lord. <laughs> you don't need anything else. This is sufficient. This is enough. He has given us everything, First Peter says, He has given us everything we need for life and godliness. I even had someone on Twitter, I, I put out a Bible verse, just something I was reading, and they asked, well, what if God's, what if you don't hear His voice? I said, keep reading. <laughs> You he we hear God with our eyeballs. If you aren't hearing, it's because you aren't reading. And we've got to remember the Bible is the authority in our lives. Because sola scriptura protects me from myself. This is why it matters. It protects me from myself. Because the heart is deceitful and wicked above all things. I don't trust myself. The Bible untangles my wicked thinking and my foolishness in my flesh. The Bible cuts the head off of the remaining sins in my life. Because what is the Bible? The Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. Ephesians 6 also says we use the Word, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God in spiritual warfare. And this sword pierces through the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, doing what? Discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. When we read the Bible, the Bible's reading us. The Bible calls my bluff. The Bible is calling out my sin. The Bible's encouraging me. And the same for our church and our community and our friendships and one another. The Bible informs how we speak. The Bible informs how we serve and what we do. A, a church that is filled with more I thinks than the Bible says is in a dangerous place. And same in our friendships and our communities. As they're more, you know, I think you should do this. And when you give counsel, do, do you believe in sola scriptura? Let's turn to God's word. What does God say? Because only God has the cosmic street cred that His words will actually help. There is no guarantee that I will say anything that will help you. There's no guarantee that when you're having coffee, looking for a counsel, that you'll say anything that will help someone else. Only God's word is guaranteed to bring about what it is going to do. Isaiah 55, God says, For as the rain and snow, snow's the white powdery stuff that uh, we never experience. For as the rain and snow come down from heaven 
And do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. God says, that's what my word does. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty or void, as some translations say, but what? It shall accomplish that which I purpose. Not what we purpose, but what he purposes and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. So God is saying, I guarantee my word. My word is promised to help you. My word is promised to bless you, to encourage you. My word is profitable. All of it sufficient. 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable. Americans love that word, profitable. Americans, especially business guys, you hear the word profitable, and you're like, ooh, what is it? Here it is. Guaranteed benefit from God's word. Profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training, and righteousness. Guaranteed to happen in your life when we go to God's word. Why? That the man of God, that the Christian may be complete, we may mature, and be equipped for every good work. Profitable. Guaranteed benefit. The problem is we don't believe that. If we did believe it, we'd read the Bible a lot more. We'd be committed to Scripture a lot more. And I love when John Piper says, because the Scriptures are the Word of the Lord, the communication and revelation of the living God. So this is God Himself. When we read Psalm 19, this wasn't just David. This is God Himself speaking to us. Since that's true, he continues, the Bible has effects on us that are better than the effects of anything we can read, study, watch, or listen to. So the Bible affects us more than anything we can read, watch, study, or listen to. Do we believe that? Now, we know the Bible's sufficient, or we wouldn't deny that the Bible's relevant and gives us everything we need for how to grow in Christ-likeness. But do we actually live it? Look, look back on 2015. How committed was I really to the Scriptures? Biblelessness is a mess in our lives. It's, it's, it's a tragedy and one that we can easily fix. We take up and read. And His mercies are new every morning. Okay, you really neglected God's Word last year. His mercies are new for you today. You can start anew. Don't give up. I, I know. It, some of it's hard to read. Keep pressing on. So what? You didn't understand that whole chapter. All right. Don't act like you're not going to read it again. Read it again some other day. Keep reading. Keep going. We must believe that nothing our eyes look at on this earth can affect us more than the Bible. Nothing you read, watch, or observe can bring goodness into your life more than the Bible. There's a scary new feature on the iPhone, and I'm sure other competitors have the same kind of thing. You can open it up in your settings, and you can look at how often you are on certain apps. So to show you Instagram, you spent X amount of minutes on Instagram today. Facebook, you spent X amount of hours on it today. Twitter, email, I mean anything, text, phone, it'll show you how many minutes you've been on it on that day. Look at it. It's showing us, by God's grace, lack of time is, is not why we don't look at the Scriptures. Now we don't read the Bible. As Barry told us last week, it's because we really don't want it. We're not hungry. We, we don't desire it. If you read Facebook before you read the Bible, you're really choosing the lesser over the greater. 
If you read ESPN before you read the Word of God, ask yourself why. If you read Fortune or Wall Street Journal or Business Insider before you dive into God's Word, it's not a shrewd decision. It's actually an unwise decision. Because then, oh, I got too busy. Oh, the day escaped me. Oh, I didn't have time to get into God's Word. No, it's not. We don't believe the benefits of the Bible. We don't see how the Bible really connects and is profitable for everyday life. Guys, it really is relevant. No matter what you do, how old you are, the Bible is relevant for every nanosecond of your life. For example, I know we have some realtors at the church. The Bible doesn't teach you how to be a realtor. It doesn't teach you the documents. It doesn't teach you how to sign. It doesn't teach you how to sell. But the Bible does inform a Christian how to be a realtor that glorifies God how to sell houses ethically, honestly, to do it for the glory of God and the love of their neighbor and the good of others. It doesn't teach a plumber how to plumb, but it teaches him how to be a plumber, one that is ethical, one that's honest, one that serves his neighbor. The Bible doesn't teach a pilot how to fly. Matt J., he's a pilot. I don't think the Bible's ever taught him how to fly. But it teaches him how to be a pilot that glorifies God to love his neighbor, to live for the good of others. No matter what you do, whether you're a stay-at-home mom, working mom, single mom, whether you're retired, whether you're an empty nester, whether you work 40, 60 hours a week, whether you're a student, the Bible doesn't teach you how to learn calculus, but it tells you how to be someone who's learning calculus, to do things ethically, to not cheat, to love your neighbor, to not be a sluggard, to not be lazy. That's why Colossians 3 says, whatever you do, So that's everybody in this room. Whatever you do, what? Work heartily as for the Lord, not for men. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward, you are serving the Lord Christ. Changes the way you view your job. So Matt J., he's not just flying for those people on the plane. He's not just doing it for his his higher-ups. He's doing it for Jesus as if Jesus himself were on this flight. You don't sell a house just for that client, just for the Gary Green or whoever is the guy on the sign. No, no. you're doing it as though I was selling this house to Jesus. I was selling this house for Jesus, for the glory of Jesus. The Bible teaches us how to live as disciples of Christ. This is, this is one thing we've got to change. If you grew up in the church, especially in the Bible Belt, it was read the Bible because that's what you're supposed to do. That's not helpful. We read the Bible because I'm a disciple of Christ. He died in my place for my sins and rose again from the dead. And since Jesus is alive in the heavenly places, this book is now a great treasure. This book teaches me how to love him and it shows me him, shows me how to love him and how he loves me, how to honor him, how to live for him, how to glorify him because he is our savior. This book is now one of the ways that we hear his voice. And we're discipled by him. We follow him into godliness. This is his word. So do we believe the benefits of the Bible? I mentioned Psalm 19. You must believe the benefits of the Bible. In closing, I want us just to look at the benefits of God's word. Really, this is all Psalm 119 too. Once, Once you are convinced of the benefits of the Bible, you will gladly and easily take it in. I mean, think about it. Millions of people went and saw the new Star Wars. I haven't seen it yet. Millions of people went. Why? I mean, even grown adults went to midnight showings. 
like, got to go to work the next morning. I'm like, man, that's commitment. Why did they go? They were convinced they were going to enjoy it. They were convinced, man, it's going to be a benefit me. It's going to be great. It's going to be fun. It's going to be entertaining. I'm going to love it. And it met, as far as I can tell from every Star Wars fan that I know, it met their expectations. They believed in the benefits of it. I haven't gone yet. I'd like to go. But I haven't even seen Return of the Jedi. And I think I fell asleep during the second one, whatever the second one's called, Empire Strikes. Because I'm not convinced. And I was telling Gabe, I was like, I think I'm going to watch Return of the Jedi so I can get ready to go see it. He goes, eh, I think that's the most boring one. I was like, oh, man, I struggled during the exciting one. But, you know, <laughs> I'm not convinced. You don't read your Bible because you're not convinced. You aren't convinced that the author is going to deliver. You aren't convinced that it's really going to benefit you. I'm not going to close today and plead with you to read the Bible in a year. I think that'd be fine. The Bible doesn't say, you, thou shalt read all 66 books in one year. So for me to say, this, you must do this, that's to even betray Sola Scriptura itself. The Bible says we should take it in. Or we should be reading it. So whether that's a proverb a day, a psalm a day, a chapter a day, I don't care what it is. But we must be taking it in. For you cannot grow in Christ. You cannot glorify Christ. You will not learn how to live for Christ apart from his word. So I wanna, all I want to do is plead with you to take this book in. I didn't start a new reading plan this year. I left off where I was last year, kept going. I didn't start in Genesis because for me, one of the areas of the Bible that I just feel like I don't know as well as Romans or Ephesians or other places is beginning in First Chronicles. And beginning on through that journey. So I started in 1 Chronicles and went slowly. So I wanted to really know it. Because Jesus says in Matthew 4, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word. But by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So we need the whole book. And if it takes you a year, you can read the Bible in a year. It takes 15 minutes a day on the average slow reader. That's all it would take. You can get apps. There's a great app called Reading Plan. It has every app, every reading plan. It's amazing. 15 minutes a day, you can do it. Take two years. Take three. Just get in the Bible. Because we don't live by bread alone. Get in, meditate on it, think on it, pray it, and then live it. That's the key. You've got to live. It's got to change your life. You bring it in and go, okay, I'm not going to do that anymore. Oh, I'm tempted to do that. I'm not going to do that because of what I read. That's when you know the Bible's getting into your life, that you're becoming a Bible-logged Christian. And I I got a Christmas gift this year, and it's kind of dorky, but I, I think it's neat. A Swiss Army knife. Really tiny, like eight bucks. But I've never had one of these. And I didn't do a lot of hunting or outdoorsy kind of things growing up. I'm a house creature. And, <laughs> but it has a toothpick, which I'll probably never use. I, I can't imagine carrying a used toothpick around with me everywhere. Tweezers, that seems handy. Scissors, knife, file. Uh, never use that, but a uh, screwdriver. I mean, this is amazing. And I thought about God's Word, and God's Word is really a spiritual Swiss army knife, a truer and better Swiss army knife. Look at verse 7. Here are the benefits of the Bible. Verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect. How many things in your life do you have that are perfect? Exactly what they must be. It's perfect. And what does this do? It revives the soul. The Bible is exactly what it needs to be for you. It, re it revives your soul. It's reliable. The Holy Spirit of Christ uses the word to remind you of his grace. It revives you, encourages you, strengthens you, that you're forgiven. 
that you're new because Christ has risen from the dead, that you're greatly loved because Christ died for your sins and rose again in accordance with the Scriptures, that you are crucified with Christ. It's no longer you who live, but Christ who now lives in you. I mean, the Bible revives you. So if you feel drained, you run to the book and say, fill me, revive me. And you keep reading till you feel revived. And the Bible, look at the next one. The Bible is sure. It kind of means it's, it's on point. What does it do? It makes the wise simple. There's no misfires in the Scriptures. It makes you wise. gives you insight on how to live in a way that honors Christ and how to navigate life. Because you don't have it on your own. The Bible gives it to you. And Natalie and I were talking about some stuff this week, and some of the stuff was really challenging that we were kind of working through with some outside extended things. And sitting there thinking, man, what should we do? What should we think about this? And then the Bible reminded me that we should cast our cares upon Him because He cares for us. So I said, let's pray. Let's pray right now. Instead of, oh, I'll pray for you tonight. No, let's pray right now. So Lord, would you help us? Help us walk in wisdom here. Help us to honor you with this. Help us to be filled with the fruits of the Spirit as we go through this. Because the fruits of the Spirit aren't just for Sunday morning or, no, it's for all of life. So a plumber should plumb with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. A pilot should pilot with love, joy, peace, kindness. The Bible is sure. Verse 8, the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. Oh, I love this one. The Bible makes us happy. Rejoices the heart. How? You read the Gospels. Here's, how, here's one way you can know. Am I really a Christian? You read the Gospels and you behold the awesomeness of Jesus Christ. His kindness his kindness for sinners, his love for the undeserving, his mercy towards the broken, his tenderness towards those caught in sin, his compassion, his teaching, I mean, his death and his resurrection. I mean, you keep reading and you go, man, Jesus is great. Man, Jesus is amazing. It just rejoices your heart that this is not some disconnected Jesus, but that this is your Jesus and that he is this for you. You read Romans 8, and you rejoice that, yes, there is now no condemnation for me because I am in Christ Jesus. Yes, I am now more than a conqueror through him who loved me, through Jesus Christ my Lord. If you read the Bible and you don't rejoice, oh, you should look into your life and go, am I saved? Do I know the Lord? Or is there sin in my life that I must repent of that's clouding my joy, that's clogging up my joy in Christ? So verse 8 again. The commandment of the Lord is pure. And what does this do? Enlightening the eyes. It, what I would do in my Bible is I underlined each one of these. What does the word do? It revives the soul, makes the wise simple, rejoices the heart, enlightens the eyes, is clean, endures forever. And you underline all the things that the Bible does so you can see it. The Bible brings clarity, enlightens the eyes. It gives aha moments. It's like when you're lost, the lamp to your feet, turn the light on. Oh, okay, I see what to do. You're in a situation, you don't know what to do, enlightens the eyes. I mean, really, the Bible gives you insight into the entire meaning of the universe, the glory of God, His fame. The Bible shows you why you exist, to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. The Bible shows you how to glorify God and enjoy Him forever, by believing and trusting in Jesus of Nazareth. Verse 9, the Bible's a guide to righteousness. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. In the gospel, 
This is really important. In the gospel, we are declared righteous. We are declared right before God. We're declared sinless, and we're declared justified. We're made right with Him. But now the Bible, it's teaching us how to live that righteousness. The Bible doesn't make us righteous. It shows us how to live that righteousness. It shows us how to live and become like Christ. And here's how this works. When a wife asks her husband to help with the kids, even though he's had a hard day at work, he remembers that the Bible has called him to serve and to love his wife like Christ loves the church. And that motivates him, and that leads him and empowers him to die to self, to remember to have this mind among himself, which is his in Christ Jesus. That though Jesus was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, making himself nothing and becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, and that he can have that mind among himself. And so it gets him off the couch, gets him to put down the book, gets him to put down the phone, gets him to not go to the gym that night, gets him to not go to the deer list that weekend because he is being led by the Spirit of Christ and led by the Word of Christ for the glory of Christ and for the good of his neighbors, his wife, and his little neighbors, his children. When you're thinking how to respond to a coworker that's angry at you because you actually did something wrong, the Bible teaches you to own it to confess your sins, to ask for forgiveness, to humble yourself, and to strive for peace with everyone. So the Bible teaches us how to live for Christ. Verse 10, more to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey, and the drippings of the honeycomb. So the Bible brings us a great reward. And it's hard for us to hear things like that and feel so antiquated to us. The Bible's more desirable than gold. Okay, think about it like this. The Bible's more desirable than that lake house you really want. The Bible's more desirable than that new car you've been looking at. If you were given the theoretical option of you can have a pyramid filled with gold, but you can never look at the Bible again, ever. You can't use that gold to buy a Bible. No, you're cut off from God's Word forever. Where would your heart go? For some of you, your heart's already there. You, didn't, you don't look at it already. In keeping them, there is great reward, more desirable than fine gold. So let's just bring this down to our, an easier level. The Bible brings a greater reward than cruising Facebook at night. Or when you're waiting at the doctor, or you're sitting at the car wash. The Bible brings great treasures into our life. And this is one myth, okay, this might be the most helpful thing that I, I say. We've got to debunk this. We have to debunk the myth of we have to have this devotional atmosphere, that it's got to be 5 a.m., there's got to be coffee, there's got to be a candle, there's got to be the perfect lighting, everyone's got to be asleep, it's got to be like this Thomas Kincaid of Christian devotional time. Trash that thought. You don't need that. Wesley's, John Wesley's mom... When all the kids were young, running, going crazy in the house, she would sit at the kitchen table. She would take her apron, her kitchen apron, and she would put it over her head and sit and read the Bible. And that was a sign to everybody, don't talk to me. I'm here. I can't escape all you crazies. I'm reading God's Word. She'd take it off? Okay, I'm here. So 
Okay, you didn't wake up at 5. You slept in on Saturday. It's 8 a.m. Uh, I can't really read the Bible today. I don't have that atmosphere. No, forget that. Sit on the couch, open your Bible, and read it. That might, we have to forget this idea that, oh, you know, my kids need to know that I'm up at 5 a.m. No, it might be the most powerful thing your kids see is seeing you at 8 a.m., hair all crazy, in ragged pajamas, and you're just reading God's Word. And you can talk to them. It's not like, whoa, don't talk to me. No, you can talk. I love, and I think it's Acts chapter 9, Peter's praying up on the roof, and he's praying, and the Bible says Peter got hungry, so he went down and made a sandwich. We think like, oh, I shouldn't be hungry. I should keep praying. No, you could read him like, man, I'm hungry. I'm going to go get a protein bar and sit back down. We can kind of de, like, take away these crazy myths that we create. I mean, Paul sang hymns in prison. He wrote the Bible in prison. Jesus is quoting the Bible from the cross. So the ideal situation to take in the Bible is any situation that you are free. The ideal situation to take in the Bible is any situation that you are free. Don't do it at work where you're supposed to be working and like, oh, I got to take in my Bible. No, now you're, you're not free. You're supposed to be working. Now you're dishonoring your coworker. You're dishonoring Christ. So you, you can get like super spiritual and really mess things up. The ideal situation to take in the Bible is any situation that you are free. Now look at verse 11. The Bible helps us stay away from sin. Moreover, by them your servant is warned. And keeping them, so not just knowing them, keeping them, living them, following them, there is great disappointment. No, there's great reward. And keeping them, there is a great bah humbug. No, great reward. Proverbs is immediately practical to your entire life. That's why I think you should read a proverb a day. That's what I try to do. It's really helpful to me. That works for you. Great. Try it. Immediately practical to your life. Don't talk like that. Don't say that. Learn to hold your tongue. Learn to sacrifice. I mean, just immediately practical. It warns us. The Bible reads us more than we read it. The entire narrative of the Old Testament warns us. All of Paul's letters to the churches warn us and encourage us. That's why I love Psalm 119.11. I have stored up your word in my heart that I may amass a great wealth of knowledge. No. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Jesus prays for us in John 17, 17. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Is your soul, your mind, your heart captive to the word of God? Maybe you need to look to Jesus. And believe that he died for your sins. Maybe that's why you don't love the Bible, because you're still dead in your sins. But you can be made alive in Christ, the Word made flesh, and be held captive to him and his Word. So like Luther, is your soul captive to the Word of God? Will you run to the Word? Will you live the Word? Will you keep them? Will you live a truly sola scriptura life, personally, in your home, in your entire life for the glory of God. Let's do it together. Take up and read. It's greater to be desired than gold, even much fine gold. And in keeping them, there is great reward. Let's pray.